This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Much, much, much later in the day than I expected. It has been another one of those days. I was explaining to somebody earlier. From the moment that I pulled into the driveway, coming home from vacation, you guys are well aware of that. I took a vacation to South Florida. I had a great time with the wife and a couple of my kids. Dropped my wife off at the airport around 530 in the morning in Atlanta. Hightailed it back to Starkville. And ever since that moment, I feel like I've been on the telephone. I've either been on the phone or I've been sleeping or I've taken some time for this. And so I had to kind of wait for everybody else to go to bed before I could record the show. I've been trying to do it all day. Zoom call here, conference call there, text messages here. Phone won't stop ringing. So here we are. So I apologize, but I wanted to wait until we had something a little more concrete uh, to talk to you guys about. And some big things may be in store for Mississippi State Athletics here in the next 24 to 48 hours, we're going to talk about all that today. We're going to talk about that bad basketball game, too. A bad loss for the men's team tonight against the University of Georgia. And that's what kept happening, too. I was like, well, you know, I'll just wait and go right after the game. Well, then everybody else gets done with dinner. And I'm not complaining. I love my job. But the reality of it is, is when these things are going on, when there is a new cycle like this, as things are beginning to wind down, it is very labor-intensive. So I apologize. Many of you will be listening to the show on Thursday rather than Wednesday. So we're going to apologize. But uh, once we get done with all this stuff, we'll be able to get back to a regular schedule. And I am eager to get back to a regular schedule, back to regular routine. It's always hard coming back from vacation to kind of get back in the flow anyway. When you got people calling and texting you all the time, it, uh, it's easy to get distracted. So that's where we are. Thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. My son Ian works there. There's a good chance if you eat there that he is going to be the person to greet you and seat you. So be sure and tell him, hello. Just like that. Hello. Right? Uh, love that kid to death. Real proud of him. And uh, he will be a Bulldog next year. But uh, now Bulldog Burger crew member, and he loves it up there. He tells me all the time how great the people are, how much he enjoys working there. And it's good to be appreciated. Had his uh, review here tonight and uh, said, you know, hey, it, they made him feel really welcome as a part of their crew. That's always nice here. You want your kids to be treated well. You want them to work at a good place. Not only is it a great place to work, it's a great place to eat. And that's why we're here to talk about 
The great restaurant-quality hamburgers available to you at Bulldog Burger Company. Be sure and go check them out today. Have the Bryant, perhaps the Lauren. Maybe get the Mission with a Pico de Gallo on the side. I'm not a big onions guy, as you know. Maybe have those chicken wings. But get the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did to make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that. We do. We can never be beautiful enough, even beautiful Steve Robertson, right? How do you think I got this beautiful? A lot of spring rolls in my diet. Get the chocolate shake to go. I'm a big uh, proponent of dessert to go. Maybe bring that Shipley's bread pudding home with you. Three great, great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas with that fabulous new patio area. Lake Harbor Drive and Origin Flowood area. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Three great locations full of great people ready to bring you a great meal at a great price. Bulldog Burger Company, a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. It has been a long process but it appears we are now closing in on the replacement for one john cohen john cohen of course not the university of auburn has taken some of our staffers with him we're kind of we're kind of bleeding a little bit to be honest with you we need to make a hire here to kind of right the ship and of course the new ad will bring in some of their own people and uh the odds on favorite from the very beginning of this process was former Bulldog Athletics Department CFO Jared Banco, who is now the sitting AD at Georgia Southern. Now, Banco was one of what we believe to be four finalists that interviewed in Atlanta uh, last week on Friday. I guess it was uh, January the 5th. The days run away from me after a while. I'm old. But it, we believe Banco was the, the odds-on favorite, but now it appears that Zach Selman, who is an associate AD at Oklahoma, may be the preferred candidate going into Thursday. Zach and his wife expected to be on campus to tour the facilities and meet with Mississippi State officials. I'm going to take you through some of this, too. So Mike Nemeth has uh, kind of updated the AD hotboard over jeanspage.com. That's behind the paywall. So if you're a subscriber, you've seen that stuff. If you're not a subscriber, you probably should have. You've been up to date because we have talked about Zach Selman for a while now. You know, it's not a new name to us. It may be a new name to you. And I think that our Jeans Page subscribers are probably the most well-informed Bulldog fans out there. I'll put that up against anybody. Absolutely anybody, because we were talking about Zach Selman long ago. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Mike Nemeth put together a profile on Zach once we learned of his candidacy, and then there was some uh, there was some discussion about maybe maybe he was not interested in leaving Oklahoma. You know, things have changed. But you can read the case for Zach Selman that was written back on December the eighth by one Mike Nemeth. That's December eighth. So, you know, over a month ago, our jeanspage.com subscribers were, were aware of Zach Selman. So you can read that, of course, uh, you know, while we're out there. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and tweet that out again right now. How about that? Live on the air, we're tweeting out Mike Nima's story. Because I don't know, there are many of you right now that didn't know anything about him. And you're like, hey, Steve, let me get familiar with this guy. He may be our new AD. So there you go. The tweet is sent. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know what time I sent it. 10.44 p.m. Central, just in case you're wondering. But it does appear that Zach has impressed Dr. Keenum and the committee well enough to become a finalist. I mean, you wouldn't be bringing him to town 
for an on-campus visit if you weren't serious about him. There was some discussion in late December that Zach was not going to be a finalist. And I think that was on him. I think that was on his part. I think that he was uh, considering just kind of staying there. His name, the Selman name in Norman, Oklahoma, carries a lot of weight. That family is legendary when it comes to Sooner sports. So I want to give you guys uh, some information here, just so you, you kind of know. I'll save you the guesswork and the Google uh, search to kind of let you know who Zach is. Well, I'm just going to ride the bio here. Zach is a deputy athletics director and external engage, engagement and advancement. Uh, as a member of the executive leadership team, Selman provides oversight of a stakeholder relations objective of OU Athletic Strategic Plan, which includes the Sooner Club, Varsity O Association, Strategic Communications, Media Relations, Digital Media, Sooner Vision, Fan Engagement, Marketing, Multimedia Rights, Licensing, Brand Management, and Ticket Sales. A lot of what Red Hobart did for us. In addition, Selman has sport oversight for football. In September 2019, Selman was appointed to the NCAA Football Rules Committee. From 2017 to 2021, Selman served as a Senior Associate Athletics Director for Advancement and Administration and had oversight of men's and women's track and field and cross country. Under Selman's leadership, the Center Club set annual giving records for donations in 2018 and 19, while activating new philanthropic annual membership levels and developing the fundraising strategy for Oklahoma Athletics' $200 million capital campaign, Champions of Magic, our constant pursuit of excellence. In 2020, the Center Club set a record for highest amount of philanthropic and anthropic giving in Oklahoma Athletics history. Selman returned to Oklahoma Athletics Department as a Senior Associate Athletics Director and Chief of Operations in July 2015. In that role, Selman contributed to the department's overall direction and culture through responsibilities related to leading Oklahoma's strategic planning process and the implementation of specific initiatives, including the department's diversity and inclusion programming. He also assisted in the strengthening of key stakeholder relationships, led sports administrator meetings, and facilitated additional projects, all geared toward developing a world-class experience for Oklahoma student-athletes. Selman served the 2014-15 academic year as an associate AD and special assistant to the athletics director at the University of North Carolina. At UNC, his duties included monitoring and tracking the athletics department's strategic plan, representing the athletics director, athletic director, uh, at meetings and on committees, assisting with internal communication, serving as a liaison with external groups such as the ACC, NCAA, and the NACDA, and administering the department's executive and senior staff meetings. Prior to work at North Carolina, Selvin began his career in Oklahoma Athletics Department as a graduate assistant in 2009 before holding, holding the titles of Assistant Director of Development, Associate Director of Development, and Director of Capital Giving. A four-year Dean's List member as a student athlete at Wake Forest University, Selma graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Religion and International Studies in 2007. He was a four-year starter at tight end on the Demon Deacons football team. In 2010, Selma graduated from Oklahoma with a Master's degree in Education and an emphasis in Intercollegiate Athletics Administration. Selman and his sister, Shannon Selman Carter, who played basketball at OU, co-founded the Shrine, the Shine Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving those in need with an emphasis on children's projects in West Africa. They are still heavily involved with that organization. Selman's father, Dewey, and uncles, Leroy and Lucius Selman, were defensive linemen on the Oklahoma football teams in the 70s. Dewey and Leroy both earned consensus All-American and academic All-American honors in 74 and 75. 
Lucius was a consensus All-American in 73. Leroy also uh, an extensive career in the National Football League. Selman and his wife Rachel reside in Norman and have two daughters, Shane and Riley. So that's what they've put out there. Now, what I have learned independently, we talked a little bit about giving. Zach Selman has a pedigree in fundraising. And that's going to be a big part of things, whether it be on the NIL front with the Bulldog Club, the foundation. There is a lot to this. And that's something I think if we're brutally honest with ourselves about this, and I think that that's the only way you make progress is being honest with yourself. The biggest lies you tell yourself, the biggest lies that you that are told are the ones you tell yourself, right? Those are the most dangerous lies at all. You know, the ones that you choose to believe about yourself. Now, there is a lot we can do better. And giving is one of those things. We have a lot of people that benefit from Mississippi State. We have a lot of people that have an allegiance to Mississippi State, a connection to Mississippi State, that maybe are not financially beholden to Mississippi State. And I don't just mean individuals. I mean like businesses. There are a lot of people in this community, a lot of businesses in our community, that benefit from having a proximity to Mississippi State that don't make a contribution to Mississippi State. Now, I can't tell anybody else how to run their business. But we at Gene's Page have been very much a willing partner to the Bulldog Initiative. We have done fundraisers. We have given of our own resources to the Bulldog Initiative. Because we're not just going to report on Mississippi State. We're going to do what we can for the betterment of Mississippi State. Now, some people out there would say, Steve, you know, it's kind of a you know, kind of, you know, crossing the line in many respects there. Maybe so. You know, I got the M over S tattooed on my hand. Who am I trying to fool, right? And so where we have to be better as a fan base, as individuals, as businesses, whatever, is we've got to be part of this giving initiative. So you can go ahead and expect to hear if Zach Selman is hired. And at this point, I expect that to be the case. Barring a late change. I mean, I guess there's always a situation you come to campus, they don't like it. Or maybe Dr. Keenum elects to go in a different direction. But the odds-on favorite tonight is Zach Selman. I do believe that Zach and Jared Benko would both accept the job if offered the job. I think anybody that got in a plane and went to Atlanta, Georgia last week at, weekend to speak with Dr. Keenum clearly has a serious interest in taking a job. John David Wicker from San Diego State, a Bulldog alum, was also uh, part of that group. I suspect, if memory serves me correct, I think this is the third time that there has been a push to get John David Wicker hired at Mississippi State, twice as an AD. I can't remember the other position, but uh, there has been a lot of support from some in the administration and a segment of the fan base. There are a lot of people that think a lot of John David Wicker. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think State's got some good candidates. But Zach Selman is a guy that a month ago, if you had told me, hey, Zach Selman's going to be a finalist, I don't know that I would have believed it. Now, here are some things that might concern you. Okay, Zach's never sat in a big chair. He's never run an athletic department. Now, he has served as a student athlete. 
You know, he has served as associate AD. He's been involved with fundraising. He's been involved with giving. He's dealt with donors. And this is a guy that, again, everybody tells you is extremely polished. He's a guy that's extremely intelligent, very articulate, a guy that will represent Mississippi State well. But there is some concerns. I mean, this guy has never hired a coach. That's a concern for me. I'm just kind of saying like it is. I'm going to support whoever we hire. But I've got an obligation to you guys to kind of tell you, you know, the pros and cons of a hire. I think he will do a tremendous job on the fundraising side. Tremendous, because that is his pedigree. He's also a guy that's very involved uh, with charitable organizations, very involved with, with children. He's a father himself. You know, so he's a very family-oriented person. But what's he going to do when he has to hire a football coach or a baseball coach or a basketball coach? He's never had to do it before. We don't know how, what good a job he'll do. Now, it, it helps that he comes from a football background, comes from a football family. It's one thing to know the game. It's another thing to know the hiring process. You know, John Cohen went through some of these same things too. You know, John Cohen, obviously, was a student athlete here, was an assistant coach at other programs, eventually a head coach in the Southeastern Conference, and there was a learning curve. You know, some could make the same argument, you know, for Scott Strickland. You know, Scott, obviously Scott's big hire was uh, hiring Vic Schaefer. But in the event we hire Zach Salmon, it's going to be four consecutive first-time ADs. Now, there are a lot of people that are critical of Dr. Keenum for that. I am not. Because let's look at who he's hired. So he promotes from within the last three times. Promoted Greg Byrne to be the athletic director to replace Larry Templeton. Greg Byrne does a great job here, galvanizes the fan base. And the thing that Greg did well, probably better than anybody that I can remember, is he made the $50 donor feel just as important as a $50,000 donor. It wasn't just a Cigar Boys get-together with Greg. He saw value in every Bulldog, as well he should. Greg eventually goes out to Arizona. He's an Arizona State alum. I remember driving across country one time when Greg was out in Arizona. You know, we had the This Is Our State billboard campaign, and all of a sudden I cross over the Arizona State line and said, this is wildcat country. You know, Greg took that idea with him. And then Greg ultimately became the athletic director at the University of Alabama. Dr. Keenum clearly saw something in him, and he has made Dr. Keenum and everybody else look pretty smart. Dr. Keenan replaced him with Scott Strickland, who was also a guy that was inside our department. Scott Strickland, now the AD at Florida. And considered by many to be on the fast track to potentially be the SEC commissioner someday. How would that be to have a bulldog in the big chair in the SEC? And then, of course, John Cohen, who leaves us for Auburn. So you begin to think about this. Mississippi State has some friends in the room. And many people would say, well, you know, Scott and John, in many respects, are traitors because they turned on their alma mater and they, they left us, you know. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you have to kind of accept that for what it is and maybe not question people's motives anymore. But I think you look at it and say, you know what? It doesn't hurt Mississippi State that we have an AD, a former AD, and then two Bulldog alums in the room when it's time to vote. 
Now, they have to do what's best for them. But if you don't think that's a factor at times for Mississippi State, I think you're probably kidding yourself. It's only human nature. I can tell you this. Scott Strickland and John Cohen love Mississippi State. They have a job to do. They got to look out for Florida and Auburn. But they love Mississippi State. And so it helps us to have friends in the room. And we do. But this time it appears we're going outside the family. There were a lot of people within our fan base. As soon as you know, we found out John was leaving, they were like, hey, we need to get outside the Bulldog footprint here. We don't need to continue to bring people in that are all Bulldogs. We need some new blood. We need some fresh ideas. Well, now here we are. At the end of the day, I think Dr. Keenum is very comfortable hiring a first-time AD. I mean, that's all he's ever done. Ever since he's been here, every hire he's made has been a first-year AD. And maybe Doc Fogelsong is the one that promoted Greg. Maybe that's maybe I'm misremembering there. I think that is correct. It was Fogelsong. But my point is, is that Keenum is comfortable with having some guys that have to kind of learn on the fly. And Dr. Keenum is a very self-assured, confident man. You don't get to be a university president in the Southeastern Conference because you lack confidence. That guy's not scared to get out there on the limb and take a chance on somebody. Zach Selman obviously has a great pedigree in athletics. But the reality of it is, is that there are some things he's going to have to learn. And of course, you know, in many respects, our athletic department's kind of been gutted. You know, we've had some people that have left us for Auburn. And, and some of that thinking, too, is there is a new guy coming in. He's probably going to want to bring his own people. And so if I can leave and go elsewhere for a sure thing, I probably need to do that. And so I don't fault people for that. It's like, hey, you can leave here and go to Auburn and probably be safe for two to three years when you might not be safe here for two to three weeks because with a new guy coming in that doesn't have a relationship with you, a new guy's coming in doesn't even know your name from mine. And so there's no guarantee you're going to be retained. There is always turnover when you bring in new leadership. It doesn't matter the department. You I mean, look at your own job. Anytime there is a management change, whether it be middle management or on the local level, there is always change. And so I don't fault people for doing what they think is best for them. There will be more change. Whether Zach Selman is hired or Jared Banco is hired. I will be honest with you. Up until this week, I expected it to be Jared Banco. Up until this week. Got, it, got to hearing some chatter middle of the week last week that, uh, you know, Selman and John David Wicker both were still viable candidates and were expected to interview. Of course, there's uh, Brian White from Florida Atlantic that was kind of the candidate from the Parker Group. That's a search firm that Mississippi State used. And a lot of people were like, hey, why would we go hire a search firm just to uh, promote or go get Jared Banco? I think what you're really seeing here from Dr. Keenum is, is they went through this process with a very open mind. I mean, the safe and easy hire, you know, really the week after John Cohen leaves, is just to bring Banco back, right? And that's the safe and easy thing. And in many respects, I think may have been the best thing. You know, Banco's done a great job out of Georgia Southern. Jared Banco knows the inner workings of the Mississippi State Athletic Department. He knows many of the employees here. And that may be a detriment and a positive. You know, sometimes you need to shake things up. As I posted on Gene's page, hey, sometimes we got to upset the apple cart. And maybe this is one of those times. 
but I have a tremendous amount of respect in Dr. Mark Keenum. I mean, look at his track record. Look at what has happened to our endowment under his leadership. Look at what has happened to our research rating. Mississippi State is not just making advancements in athletics. Mississippi State is making advancements as a university. We have a great president. I would submit to you the best university president we have had probably since Dr. Zacharias. And, of course, Mark Keenum, in many respects, is a protege of Dr. Zacharias. You know, Zacharias told him, you need to get out and go experience some things and learn some lessons and bring them back here to Mississippi State, make Mississippi State a better place. That's exactly what has happened. And so this has been a long process, and I'll be honest with you, it's, it, it was longer than it should have been, okay? That's the one criticism I can offer. No matter who you hire, I think this thing drug on. Of course, it was somewhat elongated because of the untimely passing of Mike Leach. I mean, there was a lot of discussions that that week there was supposed to be the finalist interviews, and so it did kind of push on. You remember Dr. Keenum said it could be the first week of uh, January. It ends up being the second week of January. That was his timeline. But I was told privately that they wanted to get it done by Christmas if they could and that the talk about the first week in January was just to kind of give us a little bit of a fudge factor. Like if things didn't go as we expected, we had some room. There was no need for people to panic. And then, of course, Mike Leach sadly passes away on us, and then all bets are off. But Zach Selman, trending, trending in a major way. Uh, I'm good either way. People always say, Steve, you think it's a good hire? There is risk in every hire. There is a positive in every hire. There are no perfect candidates whether they be coaching or administrators or whatever. I, I would venture to say probably the most perfect candidate we've had in, in a leadership position is probably Mark Keenum. Mark probably should have got the job when Fogelsong got it. We bring in Fogelsong and, you know, we had a mutiny on our hands in many respects, and, and Doc did some good things, don't get me wrong. He did. But there were a lot of people that kind of rallied against that. And Dr. Keenum, of course, you know, has his own detractors too. That's the thing about being a leader. You know, popular leaders are usually weak leaders. Right? If you go conduct an opinion poll, we don't need you. Yeah, that's one thing I'll say about Dr. Keenum. He is not scared to make a decision. And again, the easy decision here would be just to go get you about Jared Banco. And we still may do that. I don't expect that. I think that's probably... Uh, I think we're probably too far gone now. And again, uh, you know, Zach and his wife, Rachel, will be here uh, to tour facilities and meet with officials. And there's talk about uh, tentative plans for a Friday press conference. Now, you know, Zach and his wife may come and decide, you know what, hey, we need some time to think about it. And so this thing may stretch into next week. I don't expect that to be the case, but it's always a possibility. So kind of prepare yourself a little bit so if we get into, I mean, they may come here and then go eat at Bulldog Burger Company and say, hey, we're sold, let's get it done right? But it may, it may take some time. But I, I just don't think you get on the plane if it's a maybe. I think you come down here to accept the job. You come down here to look around, check out your office, let your wife meet the real estate agent. Because guys, you know how that is. If you're like me, I don't really care where we live. Long, long as there is, uh, long as the lights work and there's, you know, snacks in the, in the, uh, in the pantry and food in the fridge. You can have however you want it, baby. Doesn't make any difference to me. So that's an important part of it, right? And so I don't think it's going to trend away from Zach. 
I think at this point, it's that's the safe bet that we're going to go ahead and hire Zach Selman. And that, that it's a good chance that that news will be formally announced. Maybe tomorrow, maybe Friday. Maybe they hold it and do it on Good Friday, and then they alert the media there's going to be a press conference or whatever, and, and we'll get a chance to go ask him some questions. But I can tell you this has been, uh, this has been a very challenging process for everybody involved. We've all had to deal with our own grief. You know, it's like number one is the surprise of John Cohen leaving and then leaving for a divisional rival. And then John Cohen kind of poaching our staff. I love John to death. John's got a job to do over there, but I can tell you a lot of people aren't happy about that. I mean, Red Hobart, of course, very popular. And we'll see Red again. Could be a situation, uh, you know, Zach Selman may leave and go back to Oklahoma someday. And, uh, you know, we've kind of got a candidate in waiting on the plains of Auburn. We'll just bring Red Hobart back. Right? That's the thing nowadays. You, you don't get the Larry Templeton hire in this day and age. And for better or for worse, right? You don't get the lifer hire anymore. That's just not the case in college athletics. It's almost like the transfer portal, Right? You bring somebody in, you hope they do a good job, and then you go get the next guy or the next lady because there's a rising number of, uh, of ladies that are now athletic directors. Even as, uh, you know, like at the University of Duke, you know, that's, it's amazing to me to see how college athletics has changed. It's no longer just a boys club anymore. It's not. Uh, you know, we have a female uh, athletic director at Vanderbilt. You know, one of the most prestigious academic institutions in the country. You know, maybe they're onto something. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that a lot has changed. And so basically what your hope is, you bring somebody in and they do a good job until they leave. And I think when you look at what's happened at Mississippi State, we've kind of become ADU. We're populating the league. And so a lot of people will come out and say, oh, well, Dr. Keenum this and Dr. Keenum that. Well, the last three athletic directors that he had are now coaching at Blue Blood programs, are, are administrators at Blue Blood programs. Mississippi State is a blue-collar program. And the way that I look at it is if we're bringing people in, yes, it becomes a bit of a pain to have to constantly replace people every few years. But if they're moving on, it means they've done a great job here. And it's, it's abundantly clear to me that Mark Keenum knows how to hire these people. And a lot of people are like, well, I didn't really like John Cohen. That's fine. You can't knock his record. You can say, you know what? We didn't have a great athletic year this year, maybe outside of football. That's fair. But in back-to-back years, Mississippi State, under John Cohen's leadership, had more athletic programs in the postseason than at any point in school history in back-to-back years. We did it one year, set a record. We broke the record the next year. And so I think it's important to understand, you know, right now there's kind of this recency bias and people are like, oh, I didn't like John. And, you know, John didn't shake my hand one day when I was running on campus or, you know, I saw Nell Cohen at Walmart and um, she was laughing at a joke and didn't tell me to joke. You know, there's always these, you know, petty personal things. But the Cohens did a great job when they were here. And I'll die on that hill. Absolutely will. John Cohen, the only athletic director in Mississippi State history that hired a coach who won an AFL championship. Right? Uh, John also had the opportunity to scale back the stadium. He didn't do it. He absolutely didn't do it. I think it's important to understand. When Scott Strickland left, there were some people that said, hey, 
Maybe we don't need to build this grand cathedral. And John Cohen said, nope, we're going to do it. We're going to do it exactly the way we want to. And we did. And maybe Zach Selma could come in here and kind of build upon the successes of his predecessors. All right, time for today's top 10 list. going to be a little different today. We're back on the music front. But things are a little different today. As always, the top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. He's also a Mississippi State Bulldog. That said, he is the guy, too, that will work with everybody. You know, he, he, he's not going to be uh, biased when it comes to doing business. He's been in the mortgage industry for 21 years. Nobody stays in any industry for 20-plus years unless they're getting a job done. That's Blair. Blair is a closer. He will be your advocate with underwriting to help get your loan closed. I encourage you, as always, to patronize his services. Many of you have had the dream of home ownership elude you all your life, and a lot of it's because, hey, maybe you're a non-conforming borrower. Maybe you have an atypical property. You need somebody that has done it all and seen it all. That's Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And we've had many Boneyard listeners that have patronized Blair Chandler with great results. Mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard. He'll pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. Be sure to check it out today. All right. I had a discussion recently with somebody about tattoos. That happens a lot. You meet people that have tattoos, and it's almost like you, you look at tattoos, you got friends. Because people want to talk about your ink. A lot of people have asked me, what does this mean? What does this stand for? Well, I'm going to give you some of that today. This is going to be the songs behind the ink. I got a lot of music tattoos. I also have seven that are inspired by my wife. And two of those made our list today. Some that didn't make our list, I got two Ozzy Osbourne tattoos, I have a Firehouse tattoo, an Alice in Chains Jar of Flies tattoo, a Lillian Axe tattoo, a Great White tattoo, a Bon Jovi Slippery and Wet tattoo, a Motorhead Ace of Spades tattoo, a White Snake tattoo, a Pantera tattoo, an Iron Maiden tattoo, a Skid Row tattoo, and a 10 Years tattoo. Matter of fact, my Skid Row tattoo is one of my favorites, inspired by the great song Youth Gone Wild. Sebastian Bach has a uh, Youth Gone Wild tattoo. It's a pair of uh, Chuck Taylors with flames shooting out the back. I've got a Chuck Taylor tattoo with flames shooting off of it. So it's, it's a little bit like his, but it's not exactly like his. One of my favorite tattoos, Robbie Kuhn uh, did that one, an incredible job. So if you're in the uh, Golden Triangle, uh, maybe give uh, Robbie at Kuhn Tattoo a chance to service you. But here are the 10 that did make the list. Now, what I'm working on now, on my left calf, I have the album cover, Freak Show, from the Bullet Boys. I like that album. I don't like it as much as the debut album, but I love the artwork on that album. And so I'll be back uh, getting some more work done on that in March. And uh, I think it is probably my best tattoo. Absolutely love it. And uh, my favorite song on that album is, is actually a cover. So, I, you know, my rules on that. So I went with the lead single, THC Groove, and I'll give you a uh, little bit of a story about the song. The vocal is not great, and it's not meant to be great. It's a little bit different. It's a little more aggressive. It's not like Smooth Up In You, right? There's a lot of uh, sexual innuendo on that debut album. There's some on this one too, but THC Groove, the chorus says, I don't think you're funny anymore. And so I was uh, dating a young lady. We'll call it dating. 
and uh, she had a significant other. And uh, they were back and forth, back and forth, and she was back and forth between us. So one day, I just recorded a copy of the song THC Groove, and I left it at his house. And he listened to it. Because I don't think you're funny anymore. All right, number nine, I got this tattoo in Hollywood, California, at West Hollywood Tattoo, which is where many of the metal artists got their tattoos, including Ozzy Osbourne. Rob works for Robert Benedetto, who did all of Ozzy's work. Rob did my tattoo. Uh, I got, on my 40th birthday, my wife woke up and she said, hey, we ran out where we were in Los Angeles. And she said, let's go to Hollywood. And why don't you go get a tattoo on the Hollywood Strip in honor of your 40th birthday? So I called, made the appointment. Fortunately, they had something during the day. And I went, I got a tattoo. My kids went and ate it in an Outburger while I got the tattoo. And I have the Amaryllis Bloom from Shinedown's Amaryllis album. And that's our song for number nine, Shinedown's Amaryllis. Was not a single, but it is a great song. I love that album. Number eight, I wanted to get something. I had a little space on my inner left wrist after I had this uh, 80s rock band sleeve done. I had a little room there. And so we stuck in kind of a spray-painted rat tattoo i love the band rat my buddy sam denton is one of the biggest rat fans that i know i went with the song way cool jr and so it says way cool jr on the inside of my wrist because i wanted it to look kind of like an 80s airbrush thing so number eight is rats way cool jr number seven an important tattoo for me i actually have two warrant tattoos as part of my sleeve i've got a big cherry pie piece of cherry pie but also on my knuckles, I have uh, down boys. And a lot of people wonder what that's for. And I'll tell you, uh, I think I may have shared the story with you before. But uh, I had a chance to speak to Janie Lane about recovery. Janie was uh, new in recovery, was struggling a little bit. And a friend of mine that uh, worked at the Texas Club in Baton Rouge said, hey, why don't you come down? Would you like to come down and talk to Janie Lane? I said, I'd love to talk to Janie Lane. And said, well, you know, it's not really a fanboy type experience. I just want you to come share some experience, strength, and hope. And I got a chance to talk to Janie and one on one. Started out as a very positive conversation. I kind of found out he was a very, very sad individual. There was a lot of things in his life that was really giving him trouble. I won't break his anonymity and talk about a lot of that stuff. But uh, Janie was in bad shape, and um, eventually Janie died of an alcohol overdose. And so, because of that moment, I got the down boys on my knuckles because that was Warren's lead single. And a lot of people ask me, why down boys on your knuckles? And it gives me a chance to tell that story. But here a guy was that had so much to live for in life. He'd married what was considered to be the most beautiful woman in the world in Bobby Brown, who I danced with at the Club Sports Illustrated in Baton Rouge before she was famous. And so now the down boys has a club. I have a lot of people that have asked me about the tattoo. And uh, again, it gives me a chance to talk recovery and alcoholism is no respecter of persons. All right, number six, and I've met Tom Kiefer too, Cinderella. I believe that Cinderella's Heartbreak Station is the second saddest love song of all time. On my list of sad love songs, number three is uh, Alter Bridge's uh, Watch Over You. Number two is Heartbreak Station. Number one is My Immortal from Evanescence. But I have a Heartbreak Station tattoo on my left upper arm, and I've had a chance to show it to Tom Kiefer. Got a chance to meet him at Rocklahoma, thanks to my good friend uh, Mark Fulton. 
But Heartbreak Station, an amazingly sad song. And uh, I think at some point we've all lived that. We've all lived through that. The lyrics of that song are very, very painful. Number five, my wife is not the romantic in our relationship. I am. You probably wouldn't know it to look at me, but I am. I, I, and I'm probably the best gift buyer that you know, especially when it comes to her. I put a lot of thought, time, and effort into it. And uh, one night, we were out shooting pool at Hobie's. And it was quiet. It was just kind of me and her up there hanging out. It was a weekday. She was off that night, off the next day. And so we went and uh, just kind of had you know some adult entertainment. And uh, the song Gravity from Papa Roach came on. And uh, my wife is a big In This Moment fan. She thinks Maria Brink is outstanding. I think she's just okay. I did enjoy them at Rocklahoma. I thought they were outstanding. Put on an amazing show. But Maria Brink sings this duet with uh, Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach. And the song is called Gravity. And so my wife said, this is kind of personal, but I'm going to share it anyway. Just all of a sudden, she looked at me and she said, you know, every time I hear this song, I think about you. She said, it's like you're my gravity because you, you keep me from floating away. And the next day, the very next day, I went out and I got the word gravity tattooed and typeset on my, on my inner right wrist. And then my wife was so inspired by that. She went and got it like on her ankle. So like if the tattoos match up, it's like I'm, you know, keeping her from floating away. So there is some significance to that. So if you ever see me and say, why does Steve have a gravity? That's why. It's because of her. I got seven tattoos that are uh, either with my wife's name or somehow inspired by her. Number four, my lower right leg is a Motley Crue leg sleeve. I have every album represented there, every single one including the uh, new tattoo album, which the, that is a tattoo, a tattoo machine with a dragon wrapped around it. I've got that on my leg, but my favorite part of that leg sleeve is a picture of Alistair Fiend from a Dr. Feelgood tour poster. I did that instead of the Dr. Feelgood cover. I love that tattoo. I think it's one of my best ones. And so Dr. Feelgood is number four on your list. Molly Cruz, Dr. Feelgood, number four. My lower left leg is a Chris Cornell leg sleeve. Probably the most significant celebrity death in my life until Mike Leach passed away. When Chris Cornell died, I felt like in many respects I had lost a friend. I first discovered Soundgarden. I'd heard them, but I'd never really paid attention to them. I hadn't really listened to Soundgarden until I was clean and sober. I was in Pine Grove recovery. My roommate had the Bad Motorfinger album. I listened to it, and I'm like, "Where? Why? how did I miss this? It's phenomenal. But uh, I've got a couple portraits of Chris, and then also I have um, lyrics from the song Fell on Black Days where it says, you know, a searchlight soul, they say, but I can't see it in the night. I'm only faking when I get it right. And so I've got a uh, Soundgarden lyric sheet on there. And uh, so Soundgarden's Fell on Black Days is number three, which I think is the quintessential Soundgarden song. Number two, one of the most important tattoos of my life before a long time I had everything was like under the sleeve, right? Everything was like my upper arms. And after my dad died, I decided to be a little bolder, let my hair grow. And I got a tattoo on my right inner forearm of a blackbird. Because the song Blackbird from Alta Bridge, which is number two on your list, reminds me of my dad. And so I got the Blackbird from the album cover, tattooed, and I couldn't hide it anymore. And I said, you know what, I'm going to be the person that I always wanted to be. I'm not going to care what other people think. After my dad died, I just felt like, you know what, you only live once anyway, so you might as well live an authentic life. 
And so it was a real turning point for me. And then what shortly thereafter, I, I got the rest of it sleeved up. But uh, Blackbird, that's for my dad. Number one, my most recent tattoo. I mentioned this band recently. It's a band called Rain City Drive. And uh, again, my wife, not the romantic in a relationship. But uh, we were getting ready to go on vacation. And she goes, have you heard the new single from Rain City Drive? And I have because I've downloaded the album. I pre-ordered it and downloaded it immediately. We're Apple Music family plan people. I love Rain City Drive. I really do. They're one of my favorite modern rock bands. And she said, every time I hear this song, I think about me and you. And I was like, well, I don't understand, you know, the significance here. She said, just listen to the lyrics. Not all of them apply to us, but there's just a part of this that it always makes me think of you. And uh, it's a part that says, um, you know, when our blood runs cold and you, know, the, you can't find a way. We always find a way. And, um, and so... I surprised her when I got back to town because it felt like the entire time that we were together, like we were listening to that song. And uh, the actual lyrics, if I can find them here, is even when our blood runs cold and there's nowhere to go, we'd find a way. I can feel you in my veins. And so I got that on my right pack this past week. And so what's funny about it is I was trying to get it done before she woke up. She works nights out at the hospital out there. And uh, so she, she gets up early and she calls me and I'm still in the tattoo chair. I'm talking to her on the phone and she goes, I can hear you shaving. I said, I'm not shaving. She goes, what are you doing? So I switched over to FaceTime. And uh, the smile on her face is something that I'll always remember. You know, and that's the thing too. A lot of people get tattoos because they think they're just cool images. You know, my tattoos, every one of them, there was a lot of thought process put into it. And they all mean something to me. I mean, I've got a lot of music tattoos, but the ones that are involved my family, or people that I love mean the most to me. And of course, the ones, you know, with her, I've got one on my arm too. I've got a portrait of her that has the Day of the Dead makeup on it. People who've seen that wonder who that is. That's a picture of her. She, when she turned 40, she decided she wanted us to renew our vows. And, um, you know, she, I guess she thought she was losing her looks and I was going to trade her in on a younger model, but I never would. But so I took that picture and uh, I had it, tattooed on my arm and I put the day of the dead makeup on there just because I'm going to be with her until the end. And so that's the significance of that. And so I, I share that with you. A lot of people always say, Hey, it's bad luck, you know, to get a girl's name tattooed on you. My very first tattoo was a traditional heart with a banner on it with her name in it. And, uh, I've got on my heart, I have another heart with a banner with her name in it. And so again, seven, I've got a bunch of them. Uh, but they're all connected to her. And, you know, that's, it, well, I joke with her, too, when I got that heart tattoo. And I said, if there's ever any question, if anybody ever sees me take my shirt off, they're going to know who I'm with. There's no be no doubt who I'm with. And so I love her, and I hope that you have somebody in your life that you feel the same way about. Maybe you get a tattoo for him. I've joked with Mike Nemeth before that uh, he's been with Renee so many years now. I think it's safe to go ahead and get the tattoo. But uh, Maybe you feel differently. I would make sure that I'm in a very solid relationship before I get somebody's name tattooed on me. Uh, don't let Ink Master fool you. It's it's a pain to get something covered up. But uh, that's the story behind several of my tattoos. Not all of them, but uh, several of them. And, and I'd say probably the one that I get the most, you know, outside of my Mississippi State stuff and the Highway 98 stuff you're familiar with. But I've got a CFH on my left bicep. <clears throat> it's a Pantera tattoo. And that stands for Cowboys from Hell. And um, if you know the song, you know why I have it. But I have so many people 
that are huge Pantera fans, they see that tattoo and that's what they want to talk about. And uh, it's kind of a hidden society, kind of a secret society in many respects. There are a lot of us that have CFH tattoos. And so maybe you look into that, maybe Google that and you'll see. But that's the story behind a lot of them. So if you ever see me out, there's a good chance that uh, we're going to talk tattoos. But uh, the reality of it is, is that I'm, I'm a tattoo enthusiast. I have people all the time that ask me if I'm a tattoo artist. I probably should just start take people's deposits and then like just rip them off, right? No, nah, I would never do that. But I have people all the time and say, hey, do you do tattoos? Well, no. I should just say, yes, well, sure. I'd love to do your tattoo. It's a $100 deposit. Let's make an appointment. Give me your tattoo phone number and just never call them again, right? But no, I'd never do that. I'm a person of integrity, but uh, I do get that a lot. I'm not a tattoo artist. I'm a tattoo enthusiast. And at some point, I'll be covered up. And uh, I, people say, what are you going to do then? I said, I guess I'll just keep going back and getting touch-ups. You know, I enjoy the process of getting tattooed. A lot of other people don't. They think there's a lot of pain involved. I guess I've got this thick Irish skin, uh, so I'm okay. But uh, that's where we are with all this. And so, uh, again, thanks so much for your support of the Top 10 List. If you have ideas for the Top 10 List, uh, reach out to Roy Samante on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can find our great list on Spotify with that same username. Now, many of you are saying, Steve... Why didn't we do a Jeff Beck list today? Jeff, you know, died of uh, unexpected illness. He had bacterial meningitis, and it took him very, very quickly. And uh, it is a very sad thing. He is kind of the guitar, guitarist player. He originally kind of broke through with the Yardbirds and the Jeff Beck group. We'll do a Jeff Beck list on Friday in honor of Jeff. So just so you guys know, I didn't forget. I was already kind of committed to this and kind of had this list together when the news broke about Jeff. So we'll do that on Friday. We're not going to let the moment pass without celebrating the career of Jeff Beck, who, again, was one of the greatest guitar players of this generation. And a lot of people are feeling that loss today. And it's amazing how, you know, we're, we're all getting older, right? And so we're beginning to lose some of our heroes. And it's like you lose Jeff Beck, and it's like you think Ozzy Osbourne is still alive. How in the world, right? When you think about the life of excess that Ozzy Osbourne has led and of course, Keith Richards. I mean, you know, it reminds me of the Dennis Leary joke. I listened to the the, the uh, CD, No Cure for Cancer. I guess it wasn't really a CD. I downloaded it when I was driving to Albuquerque last time. And uh, Dennis Leary talks about Keith Richards, you know, did the uh, rock against drugs thing. He's like, Keith Richards is like, kids shouldn't do drugs. Keith, we can't because you already did them all. We got to wait for you to die and smoke your ashes, you know. Uh, but Keith Richards, you know, got it, you know, smokes, uh, you know, three packs a day, drinks like a fish. Still alive. Pretty crazy. Maybe they did sell their souls to the devil. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I've told you guys before, if, you've, if you're not familiar with Campus Bookmart, you need to be. I'm going by there tomorrow to uh, pick up some Mike Leach shirts. I meant to do that earlier, but uh, they've got the victory shirts too, winning the bowl game. And those and Ms. Kathy Brown tells me they're nearly out of the victory shirts. If you're looking to get that bowl shirt, you need to get on campusbookmart.net immediately. Go to campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks incomplete. I'm going to get uh, my wife, the, state, the, the black and white state Mike Leach mock neck shirt, and I'm going to get myself a hoodie because I want to rep the Mike Leach stuff. I do. And uh, I know many of you do as well. And I know that supplies are somewhat limited, but I would encourage you, if you hadn't done so already, go ahead and reach out. And I'll tell you this. I saw so many Bulldog fans in South Florida. 
that came down and kind of made a week of it. And it seemed like everybody that I saw had on a state shirt, a Mike Leach state shirt. And uh, thank you all for doing that. And wear those shirts with pride. It's uh, kind of a Mike Leach original. It was originally a hoodie, and he didn't like the hood. And so they cut it off, and they had somebody uh, sew it up in the back, and now it's become a movement. But I'm going by there tomorrow to pick up some of those shirts, and uh, I'll bring those to New Mexico with me next week. But uh, if you haven't done that, maybe it's a time for you to, to check into that. Get the Victory shirts. Get the Mike Leach shirts. And, again, you can get that at campusbookmart.net. Uh, okay, so – Let's talk a little bit about the offensive coordinator search. It has been a challenge to get information in recent days. They've kind of tried to lock things up. However, however, your good friend and host is always on the grind. I don't take no for an answer. The thing that I've learned about this profession is there's always somebody willing to tell you what you want to know. You just got to find out who that person is. So you just stay after it and you keep grinding and you keep calling. And eventually people get sick of you and they just tell you what you want to know. And then when people know that you're looking, when they do hear something, ordinarily maybe they wouldn't share it, but they're calling you. It's like, hey, here's what's going on. And so a name that's been passed along to me and uh, there's been a lot of question about is uh, co-offensive coordinator from Tulane, Slade Nagel. Now, I can't sit here today and tell you he is going to be the hire at Mississippi State as the offensive coordinator because I don't know that. And I don't know that I'm quite ready to make that leap. However, I have been able to confirm through multiple sources that he did interview with Zach Arnett at the AFCA convention out in Charlotte this week. Not only did he talk to Zach, he talked to Brad Peterson, he talked to Wolf Friend. And so I've heard that from enough people independently. I believe that to be true. Now, some have said, Stevie, is he a tight end coach and a co-OC? I don't know how Zach Arnett is going to structure the offense. No clue. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know. I don't know what's in the mind of Zach Arnett. I don't know if he nailed the interview or not. I do know that he was interviewed, and I know that he is a name of interest. I had an agent friend tell me that Slade Nagel is a rising star in college athletics, that he has done a great job, and after the job they did against USC – all of a sudden, people are like, hey, what is up with Slade Nagel? Well, let's run through this. Slade Nagel is originally from Lake Charles, Louisiana. Lake Chuck, it's a great place. It's where our, our friend Bill Martin, former uh, media relations director at State, now currently at Tennessee, um, is from. I think he went to Barb High School. So... Let me run down his qualifications here. Swade Nagel, seven years at Tulane coaching the tight ends. That is his primary responsibility there. He also was the primary play caller this year at Tulane. There has been some debate about that. It's true. They made the decision back in the summer months to take the play calling responsibilities away from Svoboda and give them to Nagel. And all of a sudden, this team took off. Here is his bio from the Tulane website. I feel like I'm doing a lot of reading today. But Nagel made the tight end group a consistent target in the passing game in 2021 while also playing a key role in blocking for Tulane's rushing game. That's one thing for sure. If Nagel is the guy, if Nagel joins the staff in some capacity, we're going to run the football more. Zach wants to run the football more. Under Nagel's leadership, Tulane's tight ends played a key role in guiding the Green Wave running game during the 2020 campaign. Tulane running backs rushed for over 2,600 yards on the ground and totaled over 4,700 yards total offense. 
Junior tight end Tyreek James also emerged as one of the Greenway's top receivers as he finished the year with over 200 yards receiving and caught three touchdowns. Kind of pedestrian numbers, if we're being honest. James, three touchdowns, ranked third on the team. There's a spelling error on the website here, Tulane. You got you left a D out of touchdowns. It's why it's a T, D. In 2019, Nagel's tight end unit helped pave the way for Tulane's offense to pile up over 5,800 yards of total offense. Tyreek James ranked fourth on the team with 19 receptions and 283 yards. In 2018, Nagel's tight end unit helped pave the way for Tulane's offense to pile up over 5,200 yards of offense. Following the year, this is these bios read backwards. Uh, 2017, Nagel played a key role in helping the Green Wave offensive unit surpass 4,600 yards. We use a different uh, phrasing there. Instead of piling up, we're surpassing 4,600 yards in total offense while helping tight end Charles Jones II and Kendall Ardoin become prominent contributors to the two offensive attack. Charles Jones II inked the free agent contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars after he put up a, together a strong senior campaign. Prior to Tulane, Nagel served as the running backs coach and special teams coordinator for the past four seasons at his alma mater, McNeese State. It's also in Lake Charles. He helped the team to a combined record of 33-13, and 13, including a pair of 10-win seasons and two football championship subdivision playoff appearances. In his final season at McNeese, the Cowboys posted a 10-1 record and a perfect 9-0 mark en route to a Southland Conference title and fell to Sam Houston State in the first round of the FCS playoffs. McNeese State's rushing attack averaged 233.3 yards per game and accounted for 25 touchdowns. The Cowboys averaged 25.5 yards on kick returns and 10.29 on punt returns. I'm going to skip down a little bit here and get more of the personal stuff. And we'll go over a few other things. But a 2001 graduate of McNeese, Nagel played for the Cowboys for three years from 99 to 2001, leading the team to two appearances in the NCAA playoffs and to a Southland Conference title. In all-conference selection during his career, he completed his career as the school's seventh-ranked performer in total offense with 4,977 yards, sixth in passing yardage, fifth in passes attempt, and completed 378 of 653 passes and fifth in touchdown passes. Nagel's career completion percentage of 578 is one of the best in school history. You kind of read in the, the tea leaves here, he was a quarterback. In 2001, he quarterbacked the Cowboys to the Southland Conference title, and after graduating from McNeese, he served as a graduate assistant coach at Northwestern State as a quarterback coach at Dodge City, at Kansas Community College, as a quarterback and wide receiver coach at Northwestern State from 06 to 09, an administrative assistant working with special teams at LSU in 09, as a co-offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Texas State. Now, the year after he left Texas State, your, your friend Jason Washington uh, joined the staff there. And Coach Bayless, there's a connection between those two. Does that mean that Jason Washington gets to stay on a coach of running backs? Don't know yet. Running backs uh, assistant head coach at Central Arkansas after his time at Texas State. He did play at Barb High School where he set school records for passing. Signed with Clemson out of high school, played as a freshman before transferring to McNeese. His father, John, is a veteran coach in the state of Louisiana. So if we do hire him, good chance you're going to see us recruit Louisiana a lot more. Uh, he has a wife named Kirby. Okay, so... We mentioned him signing on with Clemson, transfers to McNeese. The next year after his career is over, again, a GA at Northwestern State, then uh, two seasons at Dodge City Community College in Kansas where he coached quarterbacks. 06 to 09, back at Northwestern State as a quarterback and wide receiver coach. 2009, again, the LSU uh, special teams uh, analyst, and then Texas State later that year as the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. 
so he does have some OC experience. In 2011, running backs coach at Central Arkansas. And then to McNeese from 2012 to 15 as the running backs and special teams coordinator. And then tight ends, 2016. So he has coached everything but the offensive line in his career. So he should be well-versed offensively, not only because he played quarterback, but also, too, he has had a chance to direct these personnel groups. Is he the guy? That's the question that maybe we get an answer to today or perhaps tomorrow. But I can assure you he is very much in the mix. Some have suggested perhaps he comes as a co-OC and coaches the tight ends. I don't know if that's the case. I, I can't totally rule that out. But I am told that he's being uh, courted to be the offensive coordinator. There are some other names out there, but there are, there is some juice with this. Again, let me caution. I'm not prepared today to say that he is going to be the hire. But I am prepared to say that he is very much a candidate and could potentially be the hire. Not ready to go all the way with it. But it is a name that you should kind of familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with. Now, let's look and see what they did this year. Tulane had the 19th scoring offense in the country. Top 20. It's pretty good, right? Mississippi State was 43rd in the country. Tulane total offense, they were 31st, the most 31st, 31st most prolific offense in America. Mississippi State was 62nd. You can say, but yeah, Steve, but we're not playing Tulane's competition. We're also not playing with Tulane's players. But let's look and see how they did. They got 12-2 and two this year, and they averaged 36 points a game. They're outscoring opponents by nearly two touchdowns, putting up 504 points on the year. Pretty impressive. 303 first downs, pretty balanced in that respect, too. 146 on the ground, 137 through the air, and 20 penalties. They ran as a team for 2,867 yards, which is more than double what Mississippi State did. Many of you wanted us to run the football more. If we hire him, we are. From a passing standpoint, a lot more balanced. 3,313 yards, so just, you know, just under 500-yard difference, more pass than run but a lot more run than we're used to. They scored 66 touchdowns this year, only allowed 39. That's, that's getting it done, right? Did a pretty good job on special teams as well. But uh, we're really looking more at the offensive side of things. They do run some tempo. They run some odd formations. They like to run the football. They like to get you in a leverage situation and let you think you have numbers. Next thing you know, they're shifting. Uh, they're blocking down. They're doing all kind of creative things there to kind of open up the running game. And, of course, uh, they're also going to be a team that uh, lines up with those tight ends and kind of gets downhill on you. Now, Tulane was your G5 representative in the New Year's Six. Played in the Cotton Bowl. Let's review their season real quick here and just kind of look at these points they put up. They opened up against UMass in a 42-10 to win. They blast Alcorn State 52 to nothing. Shout out to Jackson Law Dog. They go to Kansas State and nearly pull off the upset there. They lose to Kansas State, of course, who won the Big 12 championship game. They lose to them 17-10. One of the worst offensive showings of the year. And, of course, Kansas State shortens the game on you. It's what they do. Excuse me, they won that game. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. They won that game. They go to the Little Apple and they win that game 17-10. That's your Big 12 champion. That changes the complexion of everything, right? Well, then you're riding high. And then you lose in New Orleans to Southern Miss, 27-24. There's a connection between uh, Will Hall and Slade Nagel, too. They're friends. 
How about that? Do you know that? Yeah, it, it's true. Uh, the next week, they go to University of Houston. They win in overtime, 27-24. They host East Carolina, blast those guys, 24-9. Then they go to South Florida and win 45-31. You remember South Florida nearly beat Florida this year. Our friends from Memphis were the homecoming opponent for the Green Wave this year, and Tulane wins 38-28. They travel to the University of Tulsa. Went on the road by two touchdowns, 27-13. Then lose to John Rice Plumley and Central Florida. It wasn't the fault of the offense. They just simply couldn't stop the Gus Malzahn attack. Central Florida wins 38-31. The next week, they take out their frustration on a short work week against SMU and beat those guys 59-24. They didn't travel to Cincinnati. You know, People talk about Luke Fickle being one of the better coaches in college football, and he is. And now he's done at Cincinnati, headed to Wisconsin. Tulane goes into Nippert Stadium and wins 27-24. So a couple of big road wins here at Kansas State, at Cincinnati. They play Central Florida in a rematch in the AAC Football Conference Championship game. And it's Tulane winning 45-28. I was out in New Mexico when this game was played. I remember this. I picked Central Florida to win. I was wrong. And then they make the Cotton Bowl, right? They go to Arlington, Texas against the University of Southern California. There were some people expecting USC to make the playoff. They fell down the stretch. Pretty incredible comeback here in the end. USC gets ahead in this ballgame, 28-14 to 14 at the break. And Tulane comes all the way back, and they win. And it was a, a, an incredible fourth quarter. Maybe you've forgotten, and that's the thing, too. When, when this is all kind of going on here, everybody's like, man, look at that offense. Look at that offense. It's great. It's incredible. And so the start of the fourth quarter, so this is right after um, USC goes up 42-30 to 30 to open the fourth quarter. Tulane then fumbles the football back to USC. They got a chance to put this thing away. They end up having to kick a field goal, and so they get a touchdown. So it's 45-30 with four minutes and 23 seconds to play. If you got any quid in your game, it's going to show up right here. But instead, Tulane's like, nah, we're not going like that. So they go in and score. Very, very quick. They have the uh, a deep pass to Deuce Watts of 59 yards. And then they run it in for touchdown. So it's a two-play drive. And then they kick off, and USC fumbles the football, but they get it back at the one, their own one-yard line. But the score is now 45-37. Tulane is within one score. And then suddenly, Tulane has the juice here. That fumble proved to be significant. Because Tulane gets a safety. Pretty amazing. They're trying to get out, get off the off the goal line there, and out of the, the shadow of their own goal post. They run up the middle for nothing. And next thing you know, it's a shotgun handoff. I know you guys hate that. And then it's a safety in the end zone. Now it's a 45-39 game, and they got to get the ball back to Tulane. The free kick is returned 21 yards to Tulane 34. And it's 313 to go. You got a shot here. Decent field position. And they organize a pretty good, a pretty good, pretty good drive here. But they get off to kind of an auspicious start. Michael Pratt sacked on the first play of the drive for an 11-yard loss. It's second and 21. 
They run the football and get 10, make a more manageable third down, but it's still third and 11. They run off left side for five yards, not able to break it, but you know it's a four-down territory here, so you put yourself in a manageable fourth down. It's a quarterback run. Michael Pratt gets eight yards. You move the chains here. You call timeout. You're at your 46 with a minute eight to go, and then Pratt sacked again. The next you know, it's a complete pass and get out of bounds, but it's a third and 10 situation, and it's incomplete. It's another fourth down. The game is on the line. The season is nearly over. And Pratt hits Alex Bauman for 24 yards down to the USC 30. Life is great. They spike it. Then it's complete to Deuce Watts, who gets it in a first and goal situation. And it's like we're under a minute here, and absolute mayhem is unfolding in the Cotton Bowl. Incomplete again. And the next thing you know, it's a touchdown. Alex Bauman, six yards. The kick is good which made all the difference in the world because now it's a 46-45 game. They kick off for seven seconds to go. That's it. USC got to go 89 yards. 89 yards to score a touchdown. And you got seven seconds. So you really don't, you know, it's one of those situations here where you you basically, you got to go score a touchdown because you're not going to have time to get in field goal range here. So it's incomplete to start. And then they do the little, uh, you know, the lateral play. And they end up getting end up fumbling the football and it gets run out of bounds at the 13-yard line. So Tulane comes all the way back to win this game. And I think that last drive, keeping the poise of that team after that big sack was huge. And so clearly, Nagel had a big year this year, clearly. And you say, but Steve, Tulane has been good. Well, they really haven't been. That's the thing you look at. I mean, Willie Fritz a couple of years ago was uh, you know one of the you know talk of a guy that could possibly be making a big move and uh, turned down a Georgia Tech job in 2021. The Green Wave is two and ten, two and ten, and not good offensively. Couldn't stop anybody either. Or two and ten, and so you got a ten game differential here. By changing your play caller. 2020, they were 6 and 6. 2019, 7 and 6. And we're talking pretty pedestrian type seasons here for the Green Wave. And so, yeah, it excites you a little bit about what happened this year, but that's also a concern, too, right? It's also a concern because you really only have one year of proven production as a play caller. And again, some people kind of call that into question. I don't. Some of you do. Uh, I don't. But I admit, there's not a big body of work here. There's not a big enough sample size where you look at this and say, oh, yeah, this is a slam dunk. This is an absolutely home run hire if that's the direction that Zach Arnett chooses to go. But I wouldn't be dedicating this much time on the show if I didn't think that was a real possibility. I'm not sure I'm ready to go all the way here, but I can confirm to you that he did very much interview that he is a candidate for the job. And again, I can tell you there are a lot of people out there that are kind of intrigued by this guy. Now, Swoboda has now left the program. He had the play calling duty stripped from him, so it was really just a matter of time. Some I don't know where he's landed. Some people talk about him going to Iowa or Nebraska. But he was not responsible for the offensive play calling this year. Did he have a say in things? Well, certainly. Probably part of game planning and all that stuff, but game day play calling went to Nagel. So is he the guy? I don't know. But I think it's worth talking about. And if it's worth talking about, it's worth thinking about. We've had a big discussion over Gene's page the last couple of days. I learned on Tuesday 
that he was a name of interest. That's what we labeled him, a name of interest, that he was somebody they had spoken to. And then today I was able to confirm that he did, in fact, have an official and formal interview uh, with the Bulldog Brain Trust that was out there. And people would say, well, you know, why is your offensive line coach talking to him? Well, I mean, those guys are married, basically, right? I mean, you know, you've got to make sure that you've got an offensive line coach, an offensive coordinator to speak the same language. And there are a lot of people out here, too. I'm going to just be as honest about this as I can be. I don't think there are a lot of people that fully appreciate the situation that Zach Arnett is in right now. People say, hey, I don't understand. We're saving all this money. We're paying Zach $3 million. We're paying Mike Leach over $5 million. You know, we can afford to go do this. There are a lot of people out there that just aren't going to hitch their wagon to a first-year coach. I mean, Zach Arnett has never been a head coach at any point. So there's a lot of unknowns there. And that's not a criticism. It's just an observation, a statement, a fact. You know, Zach hasn't proven anything as a head coach yet on the field. He has proven to be a guy that's not scared to make a decision. I think he's made some outstanding hires. Of course, David Turner's hiring now officially official. Uh, if you're a Jeans Paid subscriber, you know that was coming anyway. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, I, I have been very impressed at what Zach has done. I trust his judgment. But I also think it's probably easier for him to go get a defensive line coach than maybe it is an offensive coordinator. You've got a defensive-minded coach that is having to go hire an offensive coach. He did a great job with Chad Bumpus. But again, that's an easy hire, right? I mean, it's a guy that wants to come home. It's a guy that's a hero here. But it was a great hire. We couldn't pull it off last year, right? We had Mike Leach, a legendary coach, and we couldn't get it done. We got it done this year. We did, and Chad's going to have the full complement of the receiving core at his disposal. Will Friend, it's a really good hire. He's a guy for years and years and years Mississippi State fans have wanted. Now, probably not at the expense of Mason Miller, who had kind of become a fan favorite, but that's not a shot at Will Friend. If you're not going to keep Mason Miller, you can do a whole lot worse than Will Friend. It's a guy that knows the league. He knows how to recruit Mississippi, and he's kind of built a pedigree as a developer of talent, but primarily a recruiter too. Guy's a relentless recruiter. He'll do a great job. And, of course, now you bring in David Turner. Still expecting uh, Dewhurst uh, to coach the safeties. So, you know, again, I trust Arnett. I do. And you should, too. I think it's one of the things you look at and you begin to realize, too, that, uh, you know, this is a difficult circumstance. And listen, Zach needs to get the staff settled, okay? We've got to get some transfers in. He's aware of this. I don't know we've ever had a coach that's taken over under circumstances like this. I mean, it's unprecedented, right? Legendary coach passes away unexpectedly. You're kind of thrown to the forefront there. Then as soon as that's settled, you got to retain your roster, prevent poaching, get a signing class to bed, and then then go coach a bowl game and assemble a staff. I can't believe that anybody has had more to deal with than Zach Arnett. And so I just ask you for a little grace here, a little grace here. Zach Arnett, this is his livelihood. This isn't a joke. This isn't just something that he's doing to collect a check. I mean, Zach Arnett is a very ambitious and competitive person. He is not going to go out there and make a mediocre hire in his opinion. This is a guy that wants to win. He wants to win more than you and I do. You know, you and I are going to be here long-term anyway, right? I mean, you know, that's our choice. Nobody's paying us to be here. If I retire tomorrow, I'm still going to be a Bulldog. 
Zach Garnett's got to prove his worth every day or he's not going to be here. So if you think for a second that Zach is going through any of this just kind of haphazardly, you're kidding yourself. Nobody cares more than he does. This is his livelihood. This is how he feeds his family. He's going to bring the best effort he possibly can. I just ask you to trust and support him. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by your good friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan is my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State, a guy that does a great job, man. Uh, Looking forward to breaking bread with Brooks and his lovely wife, Beth, here in a few weeks. Looking forward to that. Good folks, man. I like hanging out with Brooks, too, because Brooks always has, like, the best uh, Richard Lee and Chris Lauterhouse stories, right? He'll tell you those stories from uh, the dugout in the clubhouse. Brooks is the real deal, man. So is Portico. If you're looking to move to Starkville, Portico is the way to go. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on a 12 like going to campus. The very first road is Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stop. There's Portico right there on your right. You can give yourself a self-guided tour. You'll see that phase one is completely finished. Your new neighbors are already enjoying life at Portico. Phase two is under development now. Some of those homes are already purchased. There are some available for you today. And maybe you're looking for a custom build. They can help you with that too. You can pick out a lot. You can pick out a house plan and say, hey, Brooks, Carrie, I got to get this part thing done here. We, we got to have this. This is important for us. We need that big island. We need this. They can work with you on that. It's not a cookie cutter development. A lot of other places are. You need more information. I know you do. Hit Brooks up at 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. You've always dreamed of having your own place in Starkville, right? You don't want to have to go get those hotel bills with a two-night minimum. And you think, man, it wouldn't it be great if I had a place there. I could go up there after work and watch a baseball game and then go about my business the next day. How wonderful it would be to have a second home here or your primary residence. Maybe you're with a group of individuals. Maybe it's a family event. We're all just going to go in together and buy this place. So we've got somewhere to be. It's a family during ballgame weekends. What could be more wonderful than that? Make Portico your next move. All right. I guess we have to talk a little bit of basketball before we get out of here. Not a good night. And uh, this free throw shooting thing has become it's, – it's a, it's a pandemic in its own right. It's an absolute epidemic. And I don't know what to tell you, man. It's like – and I'll be honest with you, and this is one criticism that I'll offer. Free throw shooting is coaching. It is. Now, that's just the reality of it. I'm not, gonna any, I'm not in any way trying to suggest Chris Jansen know what he do, he's doing. He absolutely does. But he doesn't have many shooters on this team. And free throw shooting, a lot of it's mental. And a lot of it's muscle memory and focus. But then all of a sudden you start missing them, it gets in your head. And, and as a coach, you got to get them out of that. And it's easier said than done. It is. But if you shoot 50% tonight, you win the ballgame. We lose on the road at Georgia 58-50. Georgia's not a great team. We should have won the game. Now, one and three in the SEC. Let's take a quick look at the game. State down 20 to 19 at the break. Brutal, man. Brutal. So many opportunities early in this ballgame to make some things happen. And we just absolutely couldn't get it done. Absolutely couldn't. I mean, just I couldn't throw it in the ocean, man. I mean, it's like you look up, you know, just under 14 minutes to play, and as bad as state as shots, you've got a lead. And it's like these two teams are like the gangs that couldn't shoot straight. The media time out there, state's got an 11 7 lead. We're halfway through the first half, they got seven points. It's not a good Georgia team. 
And it's like, as bad as we're shooting, we still have a lead. Eight minutes to go in the break. Georgia takes it back on a three-point basket from uh, Jusan Holt, or Jusan Holt, 13-11 at that point. And it's like, we just need to go on a run here. And then both teams just go ice cold, and they come back, and Terry Roberts hits a three. And so it's now a five-point game, and you start looking at this and think, is this game going to end up in the 40s? Georgia stretches it out to a seven-point lead at 3.34 to go, and then State comes right back. State comes back, three-pointer here, made a free throw there. We're down just two. And then Shaquille Moore comes through and rattles in a three to give State the lead with just two minutes to go in the half. And then Georgia makes a free throw uh, to push it out 20-19. It was a terrible exhibition of basketball by both programs in the first half. You knew things had to get better. Both teams do kind of find some, a semblance of offense. Georgia with 38 second-half points, State with 31. And really the difference in this ballgame, State is 7 of 22 from the free throw line. Georgia is 25 of 31. And you couldn't say we weren't getting calls because we, we were. They make 18 more free throws than us. We're fouling like crazy, and that's another thing, too, that it, it – we have been a good defensive team. We've been able to defend without fouling. We weren't able to do that tonight. A lot of fouls. They kind of forced the action. And it wasn't like a situation you look at and say, you know, we're in a bunch of foul trouble. It was pretty much spread throughout. Cam Matthews, of course, had a couple of boneheaded fouls. And, you know, I'm not going to count that against Cam. That guy plays his tail off from Mississippi State every single night he's out there. But that's the difference in the game. I mean, if think about this. We're 7-22. You shoot 50%. That's four of the points right there. You knock a layup down here or there. I mean, the shooting, absolutely anemic. State 18 of 61 from the floor. Georgia 14 of 47 from the floor. Incredible. They're five of 23 from three. We're seven of 27. State shoots 29.5% for the game. Just under 26% from beyond the arc, and then 31.8% from the free throw line. Two of 10 in the first half, five of 12 in the second half. That is unacceptable. It'd be one thing if it was just a bad night. It's become part of who we are. And it's costing us basketball games. Shaquille Moore leads the Bulldogs at 15 points off the bench. DJ Jeffries pitches in 10. Outside of that, wasn't good. Tolu Smith with his five points. I'm going to say something here. Tolu Smith is an above-average player. He's not giving us an above-average production. Now, I understand there's not enough shooters on the floor to keep people honest, but we're not getting enough from Tolu Smith. Now, some of that may be on the coaching staff, but some of that's also on the fact that people understand he can't shoot free throws. So when he does get positioned, it's going to foul him. Three of 11 from the line. But let me tell you this, he's supposed to be the focal point of our offense. You make one shot in a game, you only attempt four. You make one shot in a game, we're not going to win the game. When the focal point of your offense, when your star player is going to make one shot, you're going to lose. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care where you're playing. I don't care what the circumstances are. You could be playing six on five. When your star player makes one basket, you're losing the game. DJ Jeffries, not scared to shoot it. Three of 14 from the floor. Rams home a couple of threes. A couple of them ill-advised. Ten points. I can't knock the kid's hustle, though. 
He wants to win, and he fills up a stack column every single week. If they charted hustle plays, it would be between him and Cam Matthews. Yeah, he take, his shot selection is bad at times. But you can't knock the fact the kid plays hard. He pl- absolutely plays hard. Seven rebounds tonight. A couple of assists, a couple of turnovers, two blocks. The only two blocks we have, that's another thing that irritates me. For a team that, that prides itself on defense, you have got to get more block shots. Looking at you, Tolu. If we're not going to pour it in on the offensive end, we got to be a stopper on the defensive end. And he wasn't. He ends up getting four fouls, and I understand, you know, you got to be a little more careful with that. But, you know, again, we got to learn to defend without fouling. That's one thing Ben Howen always kind of stressed. And not that I'm going to give Ben Howen a lot of credit for a lot of things during his Mississippi State tenure, but he talked about that. You got to move your feet to be able to defend without fouling. Georgia brought the fight to us. We weren't able to do that. So, Disappointing effort, disappointing result. And you would think if you hold an opponent in their home arena under 30% shooting, you're going to win. And we're like, here, hold my beer. Not a good night. There's no way you can put lipstick on this pig. State now 12-4 and four overall, 1-3 and three in the Southeastern Conference. Georgia 12-4 and four now and 2-1 and one in the Southeastern Conference. Mike White with a win uh, for the Georgia Bulldogs there. But, um, you know, this just, just shouldn't happen. And now we got to go on the road and take on number 21 Auburn on Saturday. Don't know what to expect, but I'll tell you this. If I'm playing Mississippi State, I'm going to get out there and defend, and I'm not going to foul on the perimeter. I'm going to make them shoot because the chances are they're going to miss. You're shooting 30%. You get there and contest a shot. They're just going to throw it up there. It's not going to be good. And if they get the ball in the interior – I'm going to foul them, put them on the line, make them earn it because we have not proven that we, we've, we're capable of doing that. And then we get Tennessee. And it's like you begin to look at this and you start thinking, you know, we're staring one in five right in the face. That's true. That's the reality in, in which we live right now. Now, I'm not going to sit here and bash Chris Jansk. I think we absolutely hired the right guy. We have to continue to recruit at a higher level. They, 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 they got here and, of course, had to depend on the portal to kind of reassemble the roster. This is a throwaway year in many respects. I know we got off to the great non-conference start, but now we're playing some teams that are, that are more talented than us. And that's not an indictment on Chris Jans. Make sure we all understand that. We're going to take some lumps this year. and we, you know, Hopefully, by the end of the year, we find some offensive cohesion, but we're just not there. And, uh, again, I, I am in no way being critical of Chris Jans. Uh, I do think we've got to do a better job. Whoever is coaching free throws, we need to have a remedial course there because that, this cannot continue to happen. And Chris knows it. He said it. it's going to haunt us all year if we don't fix it. But Chris is the guy. I know it's easy to get caught up and be a prisoner of the moment. It's year one. It's his first trip through the league. He's going to encourage you to be patient. And I believe this team will be better over the course of the SEC season. There's a different level of intensity when you get into the SEC schedule. And some of these guys have never played an SEC game until this year because they're new to the program. So you got to give them a little bit of grace. And so, I'm, again, I'm never going to accept losing. But this year we're going to lose some games that we're going to be better for next year. And so I just, again, encourage you, be patient with Chris Jans and his staff because they just don't have a lot to work with on the offensive end. 
And again, as we talked about after the win over Ole Miss, the kids play hard for him. There is not a lack of effort. There's a lack of execution. There's not a lack of effort. And you got to believe in his coaching staff. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, you know, look at what they did last year. Look at this, what Chris Jans' group did last year in the NCAA tournament. They were to talk of the tournament the first weekend. The guy knows how to coach. So just hang in here with the program. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I wasn't saying that the last couple of years because I didn't have any faith in Ben Howland. I thought Ben was the guy that was done. I thought he hung around too long. In many respects, I think the game passed him by. I don't think that's the case with Chris. I think Chris just doesn't have the offensive weapons he needs to really compete in the Southeastern Conference yet. I think they're on the way. They're just not here yet. And it's okay to be upset that we lose, but it doesn't mean that we made a bad hire because we absolutely hired the right guy. I got no question about that. I think deep down you all know that too. All right, if you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. And uh, you, too, can own all of my sports books. All four of them are there. You can get signed and personalized copies at dogpilethebook.com. That's including Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, Flim Flam, the legendary book. And, of course, Dogpile. Every Bulldog fan needs a copy of Dogpile. And as you're getting ready, think about this. <clears throat> what are we, five weeks away from college baseball season? Yeah. Yeah. So to get ready, let's go read Dogpile. Let's get ourselves fired up again. Remember the glory day. Let's just kind of wash last year away. Let's not even think about that. Let's think about the good times, right? Chris Lamontis and those guys can think about last year and kind of build on those disappointments from a year ago. And I got a lot of faith in Chris. I think an awful lot of Chris Lamontis. I really do. I love this staff. And everybody should. They brought us a NAFL championship. And big news, too, that they're going to be able to pay the, uh, the volunteer assistant starting July 1st. And some people have said, hey, why then? Well, it's, you know, it's the end of an academic year. A lot of people hadn't had a chance to budget for this year, right? So there, there, there's a business aspect of this. You know, we might be able to cut a check, but, you know, there, there are budgets, and all of a sudden you have an unbudgeted expense pop up. And so it's best just to wait and do it July 1st when everything is fresh because usually that's when contracts kind of roll over. Most people are, are signed through June 30th, and a new contract starts July 1st. And so – this gives teams a chance to negotiate and decide what they want to pay that coach and then to allocate some money in next year's budget for that. So it's not a slight to anybody. I was a friend of mine. As soon as they, well, why can't they do it immediately? Well, that's why. The budget for this year is already established. A lot of schools don't have a surplus out there. And so it's important. That, you know, hey, this is our drop-dead date. This is when it starts. Give everybody a chance to plan. And that's, that's something we've been fighting for for a long time those of us that are advocates for college baseball. So by the time baseball and softball can now pay uh, the third assistant, the volunteer assistant coach, and uh, that, that is a great thing. There are a lot of coaches, man, that work their way up, their first real job on the baseball and the softball side was as a volunteer assistant. Not everybody had the opportunity to kind of get a paid gig right out of the way. They had to, to kind of prove it. Nick Mingeon is a guy that I remember you know, sleeping in the clubhouse at the University of Kentucky. And then sleeping in his car other times. Or he would sleep in his car and then shower in the clubhouse. And now that same clubhouse has been renovated. And now he's the, the head honcho there at Kentucky. But there are a lot of coaches around college baseball that got their start in coaching as a volunteer assistant. And I think now we're going to see the coaching fraternity be happier. And I think the, the quality of coaches that you're going to be able to get to come participate in college athletics is going to be greater because they can make a living now. How about that? It's a great thing. But uh, looking forward to college baseball season. I, I can't wait. As a matter of fact, I'm already beginning to make arrangements for Frisco. Uh, excited about that. Looking forward to that opening series. It's February 17th against Virginia Military Institute. 
we got a chance to put together a really solid non-conference run to open the season. And then heading into Frisco, we ought to have a little juice, right? I and, mean, of course, that Arizona State series is going to be big. It's because of the quality of that program. We didn't have a big year last year, but it's Arizona State. You know, this is one of the probably top 15 college baseball programs in the country historically, and they're coming to Starkville. You need to make plans to attend. That's it for today, guys. If you hadn't got your Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. You'd be glad you did. Really appreciate all you guys that got T-shirts and hoodies for your friends for Christmas. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.